Mercy is what God loves most. In the book of the prophet Micah, in chapter 7, verse 18, verse 1 starts with this question. Where is another God like you who pardons the sins of the survivors among his people? The answer, there is no other God other than Jehovah. No other God to compare him with. He is the only true God. He is God Almighty, the great I am. How does Micah, why does he ask this question? Verse 18, he answers it. He explains one of the many reasons our God is so great. You cannot stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing mercy. And in verse 19, great news for us. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Because of God's unfailing love, he does not destroy his people whom he judges, but he instead restores them. God delights to show mercy. He does not forgive grudgingly, but is glad when we repent, and he offers forgiveness to all who come back to him. So regardless of what state, spiritual state that we've come in here this morning, he his desire is that we confess and repent those things in our life that don't need to be there. And he forgives us and we can leave free this morning. And if you are paying attention this morning, the Holy Spirit will let you know what's going on in your heart. Our big idea today is this. Jesus loves us right through our layers of mud. Our sin is like mud because we return to the mud every time we sin and it sticks to us. And to be clean again, we have to wash it off. That's what the blood of Christ does. Well, come wash away my sin. <laughs> Remember the old hymn? I'm going to sing part of that verse. And when I do this, I want you to sing the refrain, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? For this pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing can for sin atone. Not of good that I have done. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Sing the chorus with me. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Good job. You guys sing well. Mercy is what God loves most. Praise his name that Jesus loves us right through our layers of mud, regardless of how many layers there are. Dr. James Dobson tells of seeing this sign outside a, a covenant, a convent. Absolutely no trespassers. Violators will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Signed, the Sisters of Mercy. 
Thankfully, that God is not like that. And nowhere is this more evident in the book of Hosea. Amazing book. If you've never read the prophet Hosea, go home and read it. There he creates a prototype of his mercy toward backslidden Israel by having the prophet Hosea marry a girl named Gomer. And after having three children with him, Gomer deserts the family to live with another man. But as bad as that is, it's when she's actually working as a prostitute that God tells Hosea these amazing words in 3.1. Go show your love to your wife again, though she is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Although Gomer had shamed her husband publicly, Hosea welcomed her back instead of ostracizing or punishing her. He showed mercy and compassion. The point is, in those days, in that part of the world, the, the husband had all the power. The wife had none. And all he had to do was take her to the public square and say, this woman is accused of adultery. I know it to be a fact. And they take her to the edge of the city and the city leaders all pick up rocks and they stone her to death. And nobody would have said a word. That all went on. That, that, was the, that was the situation that they were in. Does anybody here remember when you got married? I had two weddings last night. And one thing about often happy tears are shed, vows stated, and families merged. A wedding is a joyous celebration of love. And us men sometimes, other than myself, because I'm a big baby, you find it hard to show emotion or, or hard to cry, but I've seen some pretty hard dads sitting there, uh, and when their kids come down the, the aisle, the, the tears start to run a little bit. It is a holy mystery of two becoming one, of beginning life together, and of commitment. Marriage is ordained by God himself and illustrates his relationship with his people. Thus, there is perhaps no greater tragedy than the violation of those sacred vows. It's the worst kind of stab in the heart. Because when you marry this person, when you are in the act of love and you commit that and you become one flesh, I don't know if there is a hurt that compares to that when you find out they've been sleeping around. It's, it's almost inconceivable. Do you remember your vows? I always say this at weddings, and I repeat myself, because in weddings, do you know what part of the wedding I like the best? I like the kiss. I just like to go up and have a prayer, and they kiss each other, and we go eat cake. There's other stuff to do. You know what I'm saying. But, it, but one, part, one thing about it, when we get to the vows, I always say, this is the most important part. Because here you have given your heart to this other person. You've picked this person over all others on the face of this planet. And you are giving your heart to that person. And you're making these vows in front of God himself. And in front of all those people that love you. Here's some ancient vows that's been said for years, over hundreds of years in America. To the man, the pastor will say, man, Wilt thou have this woman to be thy wedded wife, to live together after God's holy ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Wilt thou love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep thee only unto her so long as you both shall live? In 35 years of marriage, I've never had a guy say, I don't. <laughs> they always say, I do. <laughs> to the woman, the pastor will say, Woman, wilt thou have this man to be thy wedded husband? to live together after God's holy ordinance in the holiest state of matrimony. 
Wilt thou love him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, keep thy only unto him, so long as you both shall live. And the answer, the woman will answer, I do. <laughs> I think we forget, my friends, that these are supposed to be forever vows, and we all know it doesn't always work out. But I'm saying at that time, at that point, in the intersection of time and space, at that moment, wherever they're standing, those vows are forever vows. In our way of thinking, this, this story of Hosea is so bizarre, I, I can't imagine in, in, in his instance what he went through and Gomer was sleeping around and she had kids from other guys and Hosea was having to raise them and, and then she went into prostitution. Hosea, go take your wife, look her in the eye and say, I forgive you. Come on back home. The amazing thing about this story, God told Hosea she was going to mess around before he married her, but he, said, he went ahead and did it anyhow because he was obedient you and I have to understand when God asks us to do things, a lot of times they don't make sense at the time, but they start to unfold after you get into it. Knowing that there'd be offspring fathered by other people, that she'd go into prostitution, it, it became the living prophetic example of Israel and their sin. This entire book illustrates God's undying, unconditional love for his mud-ridden, mud-covered sinful people. Book of Hosea is a love story, real, tragic, and true, transcending the tale of a young man and his wife and tells of God's love for his people and the response of his bride. God made a covenant with them, but God was faithful on his end of it. He was steadfast and his commitment was unbroken. Israel, like Gomer, was adulterous and unfaithful, spurning God's love and turning to false gods. Hosea is the prophet of love, but not love as we imagine or fantasize. He was a parable of God's love for his people, lived out and revealed and enacted alive in a live parable. An astonishing story. A prophet commanded to marry a common whore. We use the word whore, our ears pick up. It has something to do with something that we, we find distasteful. And we look down up, upon those ladies where, in all honesty, we should be trying to go into their lives and rescue them. Isn't it funny how we see people? We don't go there for their services. We go there because we love them and we're trying to bring them out of that lifestyle. I have to say this morning that, in all honesty, <laughs> now understand me, I'm not trying to get myself in trouble here, but I've not really had any dealings with prostitutes. I bet you're glad to hear that this morning, are you? Are you glad to hear that? I missed the flight one time in Frankfurt, Germany. There was three of us. We, they wouldn't let us on the airplane. But anyhow, I was in the Frankfurt Hotel, in a big hotel, and in the middle of this hotel was this round bar, and there were couches and stuff sitting around, and I was sitting on this couch, and this lady came up, maybe 35, sat down beside me, smiling. Hey, what's up? <laughs> well, I got into it. She propositioned me, which I never had happened before. And uh, I said, well, kiddo, I said, I hate to see you living your life. I said, I'm a pastor. Do you know Jesus? Boy, her, her countenance changed. She scooted over on the other end of the couch. <laughs> and in that moment, though, God opened that door that, that I was, I had a moment to, to share Christ with her. And she had a daughter. And 
I said, why do you do this? She had $300 a trick. It's a heartbreaking thing to me that people will sell themselves for money. And you never know what you're going to get into because there's a lot of abusive people in the world, a lot of wackos, perverts, call them what you will. But who knows what, what happened about that? But I told her, I said, kiddo, you need Christ. And I said, you need to get a regular job because I said, you're not going to be able to do this forever. And she thanked me and got up and left. But, and I know there are cities, you, you go down certain streets and there'll be ladies standing by the road. And uh, I saw a lot of prostitution in, in, in Russia as well. And it, it breaks your heart. It, it kind of helps you understand what, what Hosea w- was going through. Can you imagine his mind bringing her back home after knowing she'd been with all these other men? It's just almost inconceivable to me. God who loves us, and he expects us to love others. And in this, he expects us to forgive those closest to us. And he expects us to fall on our faces before him and say, Lord, heal my relationship. Because I know it's possible. As bizarre as that sounds, there's nothing that we can do to each other that God can't help us to forgive. But we don't forget it, and that is the problem. Jesus loves us right through our layers of mud. Hosea is about spiritual unfaithfulness. Do you realize the church is the bride of Christ? And when we sin, we are committing spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery and physical adultery are alike in many ways, and both are dangerous. God was disappointed with his people because they had committed spiritual adultery against him as Gomer had committed physical adultery against Hosea. New Living Translation Bible lists parallels between spiritual and physical adultery. Both are blatantly against God's law. Both spiritual and physical adultery begin with disappointment and dissatisfaction, either real or imagined, with an already existing relationship. And here's the danger. When we break God's law in full awareness of what we're doing, our heart becomes hard to the sin and our relationship with God is broken. And we sin, we put another brick in the wall, another brick in the wall, till the wall is so high that between us and God that it's almost impregnable. Both spiritual and physical adultery begin with diverting affection from one object of devotion to another. The danger, the feeling that God disappoints can lead you away from him. Feelings of disappointment and dissatisfaction are normal and when endured will pass. Both spiritual and physical adultery involve the creation of a fantasy about what a new object of love can do for you. It's the old grass is always greener on the other side of the fence syndrome. And then you get over there and it's not so green. The process, here's the danger. The process is dangerous because you do, don't always realize it's happening until it's too late. And such fantasy creates unrealistic expectations of what a new relationship can do and only leads to disappointment in all existing and future relationships. How does that play out in our lives today? It's a huge part of a message. As we learn the Bible and we read history and we look, we listen to what happened there and what God's process was in this. But, but it's important that we apply this to you and I. Just as Hosea's wife Gomer was unfaithful to him, so the nation of Israel had been unfaithful to God. Israel's idolatry was like an adultery. 
They sought illicit relationships with Assyria and Egypt in pursuing of military might, and they mixed Baal worship, which is Satan, with the worship of God. Like Gomer, we can chase after other loves. Love of power, pleasure, money, recognition. The temptation in this world can be very seductive, and we know that. And we asked this question this morning, are you loyal to God? Or do you remain loyal? Are you completely faithful? Or has some other love taken God's rightful place in your heart? That's a question that the Holy Spirit lets you answer within yourself. Hosea warned Judah against this. Judah and Benjamin were carried away into captivity into Babylon for 70 years because of their sin. They were allowed to come back. You remember, we talked about Nehemiah coming back and rebuilding the wall. The 10 tribes of Israel never came back. Their sin was so devious and so great that God allowed the Assyrians, who were a cruel, cruel people, to come in, send them out within their empire to the far corners of their empire. And they made sure that they intermingled and had children with these other races so it would spoil the Jewish blood. So that's where the Samaritans came from. If you remember the story with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, Samaritans were looked down on. They weren't true Jews. They had mixed blood in them. They were half-breeds. You see, it's a, I've heard stories and read books and, and these fantasies about the ten lost tribes of Israel. They were scattered and they never really came back completely. And that's why Hosea was warning Judas said, don't let this happen to you. Disaster follows ingratitude toward God and rebellion. The Lord is our only true refuge. He is the only place that we can find true security and only in him. If we harden our heart against him, there is no safety or security anywhere. We cannot escape God's judgment. It is an absolute and as we learned Wednesday night about the great white throne judgment and all those people that die without Christ will stand before the throat of God and their excuses will mean absolutely nothing. Well, you know, Lord, I like to sleep in on Sundays and I like to go to ball games and it won't matter. Depart from me. I never knew you. Into the lake of fire you go. That's not very pleasant to talk about, but it's absolute truth. Chapter 3 of Hosea's heading in a lot of Bibles reads, Hosea's wife is redeemed, restored, and recovered. As we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and he opens our books, and he gets out my paper, there's going to be a lot of chapter headings that start this way. Eddie is redeemed and restored and recovered. Two weeks later, next chapter, Eddie is redeemed, restored, and recovered. It's an over and over and over process. And that is the amazing thing about God, that he doesn't turn his back on. He keeps forgiving us. Verse 1 says, chapter 3 of Hosea, Then the Lord said to me, Go and get your wife again and bring her back to you and love her, even though she loves adultery. It doesn't mean she's going to get over it. He said, even though she loves adultery. For the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods offering them choice gifts. Have you ever had the silent treatment? Who loves it? Not me. I would die for my wife, but boy, I don't like the silent treatment. <laughs> Do you realize God was silent? The God of heaven and earth 
the God who created everything, never said a word to his people for 400 years. That is amazing to me. And then we, we try to picture what happened in heaven. And then after 400 years of silence to the earth, God the Father turns to his right hand. Jesus is sitting there and he said, son, go to earth and create your wife, the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Redeem her with your blood, even though she loves adultery, especially spiritual adultery, because I, almighty God, love the church that you will create, even though your bride, the church, will often use their time, their talent, and their treasures for other things such as themselves. And we can ask ourselves, after hearing that, we can ask ourselves that same question that Micah asked as we study God's great forgiveness and acceptance of the likes of us. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgressor of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. As Rick Warren said, he puts a big sign up there on a floating buoy that says, no fishing allowed. <laughs> Helmut Felix says, when Jesus loved a guilt-ridden person and helped him, he saw him as an erring child whom his father loved and grieved over because he was doing wrong. He saw him as God originally designed him to be, looking through those layers of mud that cover us sometimes. But showing mercy to those who hurt us can go against the grain, can it? We want them punished. We want the scales of justice balanced. But the God of all grace, 1 Peter 5.10 says, doesn't work that way. The Bible says mercy is what he loves most. And isn't it just as well for us that he does? You and I are confronted with the Holy Spirit with two spiritual life issues right now in this moment. And the first issue is this. It's the issue of forgiveness. Like Hosea with his unfaithful wife, we, per we perhaps have people in our lives who need to forgive. Not going into depth <laughs> in my life. I waited 40 years to ask a person to forgive me. And even after all that time, it was released to me because I had broken this person's heart. Why do we need to forgive? Because God commanded it. Big Peter, generous. You know what, Lord, maybe once or twice. No, Peter, Jesus said, 70 times seven. You forgive to infinity and beyond, because that's what I do. William Ward states, we are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge, but we are most like God when we forgive. Archibald Hart said, forgiveness is a surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Once President Lincoln was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners when they had finally been defeated and returned to the Union of the United States. The questioner expected that Lincoln would take a, a, a dire vengeance, but he answered, I will treat this as if they had never been away. That's the way God does us, isn't it? But you might say, God, you don't know 
how deeply this person has hurt me over and over again who have broken my heart into pieces. Think about it. Of course God knows how you feel. 24-7, 365 days a year, people all over this world continue to ignore God and his great sacrifice of his son for them who don't seem to care at all. And even us, his own children, in our disobedience, we heard it. So never question whether God understands how you feel. Of course he understands. Second issue is this. First one's forgiveness. The second issue, Jesus loves us right through our layers of mud. Has the Holy Spirit exposed any mud on you this morning? Is there any spiritual adultery going on in your life? Is there sin that you need to confess? You and I can't see all the layers of mud on each other, but God can Wouldn't it be something if spiritually God opened our eyes and we looked at each other and we could see the mud? Some of us would be so crusted we wouldn't even recognize each other. But God sees it. And he offers this to us that all we have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Blood of Christ makes you clean, white again. That's an amazing thing to me, but that's what he offers. But he really wants us to confess and repent of that sin that weighs us down muddies us up and damages our relationships. And always remember, beloved brothers and sisters of mine, God is better. He is always better in every and all situations. Better than anything. Watch, watch this clip. Francis Chan's voice. It's, it's a pretty good clip. Jeremiah chapter 2. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me. You followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Remember, this is God speaking. And sometimes we think of God as like this machine up there, this, you know, with no feeling. He just judges. He just controls everything. You guys, listen to the words he uses. God is speaking to this nation and he says, I remember how devoted you were to me. But then he says in in verse 5, What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? Doesn't that sound like so many of our lives? Where we were so connected with God, God made things so wonderful, and then we run away towards something else. Something else entices us, and God's left there going, What did I do? My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The people committed two sins. One was they chose their sin. But I think what really broke the heart of God was that they chose their sin over Him. God's going, wait a second. So you left me, the spring of living water, to go do your own thing because you thought maybe you could dig a hole big enough and then fill it up with water so this would be a better supply? He goes, and it's a broken cistern. It doesn't even hold water. That's what temptation is. Things that draw us away from Him, things that we choose over a love relationship. And it's not that you don't love God. You love God, right? I mean, you love God in your heart, but every once in a while there's this reality of there's this real pull from inside of you towards something that God prohibits. And you're feeling it so bad. And you're going, what is wrong with me? I know I love God. Why do I feel this way? We're going, God, I don't want to go there. And we know it's not going to fulfill. 
We know we can't be happy outside of God. But everything in us is pulling us that way. What do we do? Here's what we do. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He says, set your mind on things above, not earthly things. It's the idea of a person being so focused on this love relationship, you're not even noticing anything else. You don't know what else is going on in the room. You're just so focused on Jesus, so in love and so thinking about eternal things. That's the idea. We have to run toward Jesus, the author and perfecter. We have to fix our eyes on him so that all these things are dangling in front of our face, but we don't even notice it. There's one reason why you should walk away from whatever temptation you're facing right now. There's just one reason. God is better. He is. He's so much better. It's not even a comparison. God is better. You believe that this morning? <laughs> Micah 7, 18 and 19. Where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt. <laughs> I like that concept. Wipes it clean. Turning a blind eye, a deaf ear, to the past sins of your purged and precious people. You don't nurse your anger and you don't stay angry long. For mercy is your specialty. That's what you love most and compassion is on its way to us. You'll stamp out our wrongdoing. You'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. And you'll stay true to your word. If you need to pray, this is where the family meets to pray for each other. We are family. You need to pray for power to forgive. Come. You need to pray for God to forgive you. There's nothing you've done in your past that you can't ask for forgiveness for, and he wipes the slate clean. Maybe you need to lay a heavy burden down, or maybe you need to accept the greatest gift that's ever been offered to mankind is salvation in Jesus Christ. So we offer that to you this morning. You can pray right where you sit. Sometimes there's just something about having your brothers and sisters gather around you and pray for you because they love you. Lord, we love you, and we give you praise and glory for who you are. You are so, so, such a wonderful God and Father and friend. We thank you for that. And right now, Holy Spirit, we give these moments to you that you might do your work as you've been doing it since the beginning of time, that as folks listen to you, that they might be obedient, whatever it is you ask them to do. We give you praise and glory, for we ask in the name of Christ. Amen.